Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. While the kids are heading back to their seat, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 11. We're going to begin in Mark chapter 11, verse 27, and go down through chapter 12, verse 12. Mark chapter 11, verse 27 through Mark 12, verse 12. Let's give our reading once again to the holy, excuse me, the holy and inspired and authoritative word. And they came again to Jerusalem. And he was, as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others. Some they beat, and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Most gracious Father, I ask that you would be with me by your spirit, to be with all of us by your spirit, that we could understand your word, that we could believe your word, and that we could rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, the real question of this passage and the question that has kind of persisted through Mark's gospel as it does all of the gospels, the question that will be answered with greater and greater clarity for the disciples and the crowds and and the the officials and and even for us as we continue through the rest of Mark's gospel, the, the, the question is, who is Jesus? Who is this guy that has performed miracles? Who is this guy that that, that claims to forgive sins? Who is this guy that that is clearing the temple? Who is he? And this is an important question to which we most desperately need the answer. 
The question gets asked as we're going to see in, in all of these different stories and, and challenges that come up. It gets asked in different ways. In today's passage, it's a, it's a question about authority. It, does Jesus have the authority to do the things that he is doing? And again, this is an absolutely crucial question for us today. Does he have the authority to do the things we claim and rely on him to do? Because if you think about it, the claims we make about what Jesus has the authority to do, the thing that the claims that we make it and what we rely on Jesus to do for us is not a small thing. The forgiveness of sin the justification of sinners, the sanctification of his people, the, the, the inter, intercession on our behalf. If he doesn't have the authority to do those things, there's a real problem. If he doesn't have the authority to do the things that, that he's been doing in clearing the temple, there's a real problem. So we're going to look at this passage in two parts. First... The, the kind of historical account, the encounter with the Sanhedrin, then we'll look at the parable and its, its explanation. Because what we want to understand, to, to spoil the ending, is that yes, in fact, Jesus does have the authority to do not only these things that he's done in the immediate past, but the things he'll do in the future and all the things that we rely on him for. He does have that authority. So the Sanhedrin come to him. And, and, and while, while I've said, hey, this is an important question. Does Jesus have the authority to do this? This is a legitimate question to ask. When we, when we see why this question is being asked in the context, they're not asking it for any legitimate reason. They're, they're not asking it for a legitimate reason at all. What, what's amazing is that Jesus still gives us the answer and the comfort of the answer. So if we go back to verse 18, we read, the chief priests and the scribes heard it, what Jesus had been doing about cleansing the temple and, and all of that, and they were seeking to, a way to destroy him, for they feared him. See, that's the motivation of their question. That's why they're coming to Jesus asking, Who's, by whose authority do you do these things? They weren't, they weren't like us wanting to just make sure, yes, Jesus really has the authority to do what we think he does. No, no, no. They were coming with these nefarious intentions of seeing Jesus put to death. And authority really is, is kind of the shrewd approach. Because we, we see the, the, this group of people, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. These are the three groups of people that made up this council called the Sanhedrin. Okay, And the Sanhedrin was this kind of middleman authority structure between the Jews and Rome. And they had all the authority, like all the religious authority that they needed. I mean, it was almost kind of unchecked, we're told, to, to manage the Jewish people. So, so this is... I mean, this is a, a, a real kind of power struggle here because you've got these, these, these leading men with the authority, the Sanhedrin, this ruling council, and they're coming, seeing somebody like seemingly step out of line in, in an area that is their purview in the temple and, and, and the religious expression of, of Israel. 
And so they come and say, by whose authority are you doing this? Because they knew we didn't give anybody permission to cut into our profits. We didn't give anybody permission to cause a scene in the temple. We didn't give anybody permission to rebuke us for how we were approaching worship. We didn't give anybody permission to speak to us in these ways. We certainly didn't give anybody permission or the power to to wither a fig tree and, and, and announce it as a judgment on Israel. And so in one sense, you can see how they're going, wait a minute, by whose authority are you doing these things? Because it's not ours, and we're the authority. But it's a shrewd question, because there's really only two answers. Either Jesus says, oh, I don't actually have the authority to do this. I just took it upon myself and went for it. In which case, case closed. He's out of line. And, and they could actually, based on, on the laws, probably just go ahead and put him to death right there. That's why they're asking this question. Remember, they're seeking a way to destroy him. If he's doing this in the temple with no authority, they can kill him justly. And the Romans would have let him. Or Jesus could claim some authority. But the only authority that he could possibly claim for coming into the temple and cleansing the temple is one of two. Either the religious council, the Sanhedrin, had said to him, hey, there's some problems in the temple. We need you to take care of them. Go take care of them. But they know that's not the case. The only other possible authority that he could claim to have, the only authority they kind of saw above themselves was God. So so they think they've backed Jesus into a corner. Either he's going to say, I have no authority, in which case we can kill him, or he's going to claim to be God and coming with the authority of God, in which case he's a blasphemer, and guess what? We can kill him. That was their goal. That was their goal. They wanted to catch Jesus in this trap. But Jesus gives two answers. First, he gives this non-answer, and then he gives this parabolic answer that we'll look look at as the the second part of our sermon. First, his non-answer. I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Now, a shrewd And crafty as the Sanhedrin's question, by whose authority do you do these things? As shrewd and crafty as that was, Jesus just outplayed them tremendously. Because remember, we've got to keep the scene in our minds so we understand what's going on here. Remember, they're in the temple when this is happening. Jesus is walking in the temple. We already know from the scene and, and everything that's going on with the festival they're preparing for and all that, this is a very, very busy place. Think like when we used to have malls that people went to, like pre-Amazon mall at Christmas time, right? That's what. That's the kind of scene. It's Christmas Eve, everybody's scrambling for the last toy or or present that they forgot to get and the mall is packed and Jesus walks in. That's the the busyness and the the number of people in the temple. Which means there's a crowd. People know like, oh, this is the dude that just like 
went berserk yesterday. This is the guy that rebuked the Pharisees. This is the guy that was turning over the tables. This is the guy that caused a real scene. You, you don't just walk into the temple of the Jews, flip over tables, rebuke people, make the claims that he, and then show up again the next day unnoticed. Like it doesn't happen that way. So there's, it, it's reasonable to think there's a crowd. And so Jesus asks this shrewd question because here's what he knew. He knew that John the Baptist was loved by the people. As it tells us, they really did believe he was a prophet because he was, and they got it. But he also knew, he also knew that the Sanhedrin couldn't admit that. Because if they admitted that he was a prophet, then they had to admit the truth about what it was that he was saying, which pointed to Jesus. So as shrewd as their question was, Jesus just one-ups them. All right, right here in front of all these people that loved John the Baptist, by whose authority did he work? Because now, if they say, by the authority of heaven, by the authority of God, then all of a sudden, Jesus is who he's claiming to be. And they're resisting him. Or, if they say, he had no real authority. Then all of a sudden, there's this mob of people that they're scared of, that they have to deal with. So Jesus is just like, oh, we're playing chess? Checkmate. I win. And they discuss it with each other, and this is exactly what they say. If we say from heaven, he'll say, why didn't you believe him? If we say from man, then... And it doesn't say anything after that. It just notes, they were afraid of the people. For they all held that John really was a prophet. They were scared of these people, and, and, and they needed to keep them in check. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Fair enough. You ask me a question, I set the rules of the game, you tried to play, you lost. But that's not the end of the story. Because Jesus keeps talking. He, he, he brings the Sanhedrin's fear of man to bear on the members questioning him. And then he actually does answer their question in this parable that he tells about these tenants. He began to speak to them in parables. And it's the story about this vineyard. The guy buys, leases it to the tenants, the, the, the guys that are going to come and work the field. And he sends all these servants one by one to kind of get what's rightfully his. And they're beaten and killed. And then he sends his son his beloved son, his monogamous, right? His, his only begotten son. And they kill him. And so Jesus poses this question. What will the owner of the vineyard do? And then he answers it. He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. So what's going on in this parable? Well, we don't have to think that hard, do we? Because God had for years, 
for centuries, for generations, been sending his prophets to his people with his word only to be rejected and at times killed. Right? John the Baptist has already been introduced to this story. What happened to him? He was beheaded because they didn't like what he was saying. Herod was like, we're done with you. We, we think about what Jezebel did to all the prophets that she killed. We think of how Elijah was rejected. We think of Samuel. We think even of Moses as he comes and leads them out of slavery and into the freedom of the promised land, trying to get there. And they're just railing against him and grumbling against him constantly. And of course, it's so easy to see who the Son is, isn't it? It's Jesus himself. And here, this parable turns to prophecy. Here's what's going to happen, he says. Just like you've killed Zechariah, just like you you killed all these other prophets and, and beat all these other prophets, you're going to kill the Son as well. Because you think if you get rid of him, you get to keep everything. You think if if we can get rid of this one, the vineyard is ours. We get the inheritance. We get the riches. We get the profits. And so you're going to kill the son also, is what Jesus is telling them. And this is exactly what the Sanhedrin was trying to do. They saw in Jesus this one who was a threat to their power, who was a threat to their control, who was a threat to their prophets, who who was a threat to to everything that they held dear and, and the comfort of their life. He was a threat to all of that. And they thought, if we can kill him, we get to keep all of that. We stay in control. We still run the temple. We still collect the temple taxes. We still get this cush relationship with Rome. And we know that they didn't get all that they were doing. They they didn't understand that they were working out God's eternal plan of salvation. We get that. But we see that they are the tenants in this chapter or in in this parable. And so all of a sudden, we've now got, in the last story we looked at, the the temple itself and and the structure there being rebuked and and being turned on its head. Now Jesus shows up and continues his teaching, and he's turning all the authority of these people directly on their heads. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. We go back to Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves. Let us burst all that. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will destroy 
the tenants and give this vineyard to others. Verse 10, Jesus begins to explain himself as if that was needed at all. And he goes back to Psalm 118, which, which should, should kind of ring a bell in our mind. But wait a minute, why is that important? Why have I heard Psalm 118 before? It's not that Brent just read it to us. There's something else. Oh yeah, that was what they were quoting on the day of the triumphal entry. That's where Hosanna came from. Hosanna, save us. Right? They were going back to Psalm 118, hollering, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Pulling on the theology that's that's wrapped up in 118 that, that someone will come and someone will save us and we think it might be this one. And so as this this narrative in Jerusalem continues, Jesus goes back to Psalm 118 again and says, in fact, you're right. You were right to call out as I entered in on that donkey. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You were right to call out, save us as I walked in. Because that's exactly what I've come to do. He quotes Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus answers their call to save them by announcing, I am exactly the one who has the authority to do that. I am the rejected one whose rejection will lead to the undoing of all of this. I am the rejected one whose rejection will lead to the kingdom being given to the true people of God. I am the rejected one who has become the cornerstone around which the entire temple, the entire religious structure, the entire religious experience, are everything about our faith. I am the cornerstone around which all of it was built. I'm the answer to Psalm 118. I'm the one who's the answer to Psalm 2. I'm the one who's the answer to the vineyard parable in Isaiah 5. I'm the one around who everything is built. I'm the cornerstone. And the builders didn't even get it. The builders would would go through stones and and figure out which is the best one and and they would have a pile of rejected stones. And he's like, and the one that they rejected, the one that they thought was no good, that's actually the one that everything is based around. Because remember what the cornerstone did for a building in ancient times. It set the trajectory of every wall and the foundation of the building all was set by that very first cornerstone that was laid. If it wasn't square, the walls on the backside wouldn't meet. If it wasn't set right, the building wouldn't face the right way. If it was flawed, if it was, if it was messed up in any way, the soundness of the structure itself would be entirely called into question. And they had rejected 
the only cornerstone around which everything could be built and stand. And Jesus says, that's who I am. I'm the son that came in the line of all of the prophets with the authority of my father, with the authority of heaven, with the authority of God himself to bring mercy and salvation and forgiveness and restoration and hope. And you rejected me. Or you will in the coming days. They were seeking to arrest him, it says, but they feared the people. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them. Sometimes they didn't get the parables. Sometimes they left scratching their heads. And in fact, Jesus reminds us that sometimes that was the point of his parabolic teaching. It wasn't actually always to make clear. Sometimes it was to confuse, but not this time. And they got it. And they were infuriated because he had just told them, God is going to destroy you and give all of this to somebody else. And that's me. Do you get the boldness of what he just announced? In in this parable, Jesus looked at the the ruling parties. He he looked at the the people that had the authority to have him killed, as they would do. And he says, you're going to kill me. And then God is going to destroy you. And he's going to give everything you've built, everything you think you stand for, everything on on which you base your hope, He's going to give it to me and to my people. Yeah, that's how you get yourself killed in first century Jerusalem in the week of Passover. But that was exactly what Jesus came to do. Because that was the way that was the way that he would deliver us. Now, I said earlier that this question of does Jesus have the authority to do the things that he claimed to do? I said, while they were using it in this backhanded way to try to get Jesus, it's a vital question for us. It's a vital question for me. Does Jesus have the authority to do what we say he does? Does Jesus have the authority to send his spirit to be our helper and our guide? Does he? Does Jesus have the authority to to be our advocate before God Almighty? Like John tells us, I write these things to you little children that you might not sin, but if any of you do sin, You have an advocate, a defense attorney, a lawyer. You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Does he have the authority to go to God and say, throw it out? He's clear. John continues. 
and have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Does Jesus have the authority to take the wrath of God for your sin and mine? Does he have the authority to forgive sins? To look at you in all your vileness, in all your failures, and say, your sins are forgiven. Does he have the authority to offer that hope and that comfort? And the answer is a resounding, yes, he does. Why? Because he is the only begotten son of God. Begotten of his father before all worlds. God of God, light of light. Very God of very God. Begotten, not made, being of one substance with the father by whom all things were made. For us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. And he suffered and he died. And on the third day, he rose again in victory. Does Jesus have the authority to forgive you? Yes, because he is the son of God and nothing less. And there's nothing sweeter than that. Nothing in all the world. Let's pray. Most gracious Father, thank you for sending your Son endowed with all the authority to accomplish all that you sent him to do. That there was nothing lacking in his ministry. And that he has greater authority than our consciences. He has greater authority than the accusations of Satan. He has greater authority than our flesh. He has greater authority than anything else in all the world. And he declares us forgiven. Thank you for the hope that we have in seeing who our Jesus is. That he is the one around whom this entire structure is built. That he is the perfect cornerstone. And this was your doing. And truly, it is marvelous in our eyes. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of scripture and theology.